0: Do you think about that? Does it blow you away? The better in touch you are with your sin and what you deserve, the more it will blow you away that God set His love upon you, that He sent His Son to live for you, to die for you, to be raised and to reign for you. And that by the faith that He's given you, trusting in His Son, as we sang, Jesus is our perfect, spotless righteousness. We've been hidden in Him, His Righteousness imputed to us. We are clothed in His garments of perfection. We are children of God with hope and power and the Word of God. All because God first loved us, His enemies, and sent His Son to save us. What hope, what joy should fill our hearts when we get our eyes off ourselves and what we think we deserve And on Him and what He has done for us. This morning I want to read from a passage that um, some have never made it this far in their Bible reading attempts. It's early in the Bible, but when you get to Leviticus, sometimes it starts. But if you you read Leviticus looking for Christ and how it pictures and points you to Christ, it will change how you read it. It will transform it for you. But in the middle of, uh, sort of, in the middle of Leviticus, we have a story um, of Aaron's sons that is a negative example for us on how not to worship God. I've called this sermon Death by Worship, so I'm sure even the title is greatly encouraging you this morning. But it's something we need to know about. We're asking the question, how does God want to be worshipped? And there are negative examples in both the Old Testament and the New Testament about how we should not, I'm sorry, not worship Him. We're going to look at those this morning as we move forward to look at more about how to worship in spirit and truth and how to worship the way God would have us to worship. But look in Leviticus chapter 10. I'll read the first 11 verses says this Now Nadab and Abihu the sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he here's key which he had not commanded them And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near and carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and to Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers and the whole house of Israel bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die, for you are the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish, distinguish between the holy and the common between the unclean and the clean, you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes of the Lord that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. That's far, God's word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that what we have before us this morning would sober us. That we wouldn't knee-jerk at it, that we wouldn't try to get out from under the truth of it, that we would just sit back, open up and say, what does the word of the God or of God say? And how might I be shaped by it? So bless us to think better about your holiness. To think better about your your will for us and your word. To think better about worship. To be changed. To be made more like Christ. Help me to preach your word, Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Accomplish all of your purpose in and through me. Help us to hear your word in the power of the Holy Spirit as the word of God. And to be shaped and changed by it. May you be glorified, Father the sun be lifted high, the Spirit be powerfully at work as your word goes forth. We trust you for it. We praise you for it. We ask for it because we are not worthy of it. We ask for it in the name of Jesus, your Holy Son, knowing that in and through him we have your grace, your glory, your goodness. We have what we need. So bless us with your word. We give you praise looking to you and trusting you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is in the way of death. I was refreshed this week as I... And this is the introductory verse. We're going to look. But as I looked at this verse, I was refreshed in the fear of this verse. Does that verse frighten you? Because it should. That verse should scare you. There are things that you think that seem right to you that, according to strict justice, is the way of death. So we shouldn't say, Lord, do I have any of those ways? We should say, what, 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 things are I, what things am I thinking wrongly about? What things that are in my thought and life that were it not for your grace and mercy, death should consume me. We can be completely confident about X, that we are right about it. As God's children and still be walking in the way of death. So let that sober us. But see, this is one verse, this Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is in the way of death. It it highlights the danger of the mindset we find in Judges. Remember the book of Judges and, and the cycles of Judges. And what was said, because there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in the word of God. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, according to the way they see things. They were their own moral authority, they were their own judge. See, this began in the garden. It wasn't new then, when Adam and Eve turned from their allegiance to God and His Word and His truth to themselves to decide for themselves what was right and what was wrong. They fell into sin and took the rest of us with them. Man wants to be his own moral authority. Man wants to decide for himself what is right and wrong. The ladies don't do that, but (laughs) mankind. When I use man that way, think mankind. Our bent, our default, uh, because of the fall, is to think that we are our own moral authority, so we decide ultimately for us what is right and wrong. People do this and churches do this. What are churches? But people, gatherings of people. We do this when we fail to measure everything we do by the Word of God and to submit everything we think and do to the Word of God. To what extent are you doing what is right in your own eyes and yet the thing that you are doing conflicts with this? And were it not for God's mercy today, thunderclap and you'd be gone. Don't say I don't have any of those ways. Ask God to search you and try you and show you. And then as a church we should be asking God to search us and try us and show us. What was one of the mottos of the Reformation? Reformed and done with it. Always reforming. Semper Reformanda. And what was the Reformation? An invention of something new? No, it was a recapturing of the truth that Jesus brought and taught. We need to be careful that we don't fail to measure everything we do by the Word of God. But we, we think there are little things that, you know, it's just too little. It's not a big deal. You know, some do it this way and others do it that way and it's not a big deal. I do what's right in my own eyes and these things, but submit a, It's really not that big a deal. God's grace will cover. That's called presumption. And we do it because we underestimate two things. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. We underestimate how holy God is and what it means that He's holy. Some of us don't even know. We We underestimate, therefore, how sinful sin is and the fact that the smallest deviation from God's commandments deserves eternal condemnation. Why? Because of who He is. We're going to see examples of strict justice today. And no, God doesn't always do it this way. But He's done it enough to show and to make a point. He doesn't have to repeat Himself. He can say something once, and that's enough. Parents, do you get tired of repeating yourself? You never have to do that, do you? God doesn't have to repeat Himself. If He says something once, it stands. And yet we have repetition of the lesson I'm I'm trying to point out this morning. God is so holy. The smallest departure from His Word, His moral will, deserves instant judgment. Be warned, many things that seem right or okay to us are actually greatly offensive to God. We look around at the culture, we look around at other people, and we compare ourselves to ourselves, and we say, we do the foolish thing of saying, Well, yeah, I did this, but I'm not like them. God's not going to judge you by them. Many things that we think are right are actually greatly offensive to God. Our hearts trivialize what we see as small sins, and we think we're doing okay when God doesn't immediately rain down fire, and don't we? Well, I got away with it. It must be okay. I know God said, word said, don't marry an unbeliever, but I did, and it worked out, so it must be okay. No. It's not the way to look at things. So we're in our second sermon of this short series. This, sermon is, this series is entitled Spirit and Truth after a recent documentary. If, I would encourage you all to watch it. And we're asking the question, how does God want to be worshipped? And today we're going to see that He has not left that up to us to guess at. He's not made us the chef of worship. gets to put it all together the way we want it to be put together. We're going to start with Leviticus 10, 1-3 and then bring other scriptures into the discussion. Here's my main point. The thing I want you to take away. Because God is holy, we should take great care to approach Him the way He has instructed in His Word. And that should be done out of love for Him primarily because of His grace to us in Christ Jesus. But we shouldn't trivialize or trifle with or excuse diversion from what He's revealed about His worship. Because God is holy, we should take great care to approach Him the way He has instructed us in His Word. Example A, Nadab and Abihu. I entitled this The Danger of Casual Worship. You say, but you're wearing blue jeans. That's not what I'm talking about. We get so surfacy, don't we? The dan- we, see, we see casual worship in Nadab and Abihu. What does casual mean? Relaxed and unconcerned. Not well thought through. Not taking it seriously. Casual worship is man doing what is right in his own eyes when it comes to worship without due consideration of the Word of God. Man doing what is right in his own eyes when it comes to worship without due consideration of the Word of God. That's what I mean by casual worship. Just, as it were, sauntering into God's presence. Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, decided to offer their priestly service to God with just a slight innovation, just a little tweak, Just a small thing as we would see small, right? Not as God sees small. What was their sin? Well, thankfully, the Word of God tells us. Look look in verse 1. It says that each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And if we needed more clarification which He had not commanded them. Strange fire, some of your translations may say. They didn't get the fire where they were supposed to get it to burn the incense. They didn't get it from the altar. Maybe they got it from the campfire. Who knows? But they used common fire instead of holy fire, and they had no excuse for it. You can write these down if you're taking notes, but you can go look in Leviticus 16:1 and 2, in verse 12, you can go to Exodus 30, verse 9. You can, you can read the surrounding passages and you'll see like everything else, God didn't leave them to guess. He gave the exact formula for the incense and for the fire and for everything else in Old Testament worship. He gave them exactly how they were supposed to do it. But Nadab and Abihu decided, hey, look at us. We've been brought into the priesthood. We're a big shot. We can do it however we want to. And so they just took a little shortcut and didn't take fire from the altar. I hear you, God, but that's a lot of trouble. I don't have time for that this morning. I need to get this done. So it'll be okay. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Don't you ever say that. They didn't do things God's way, but in a way that seemed right to them. This is why I introduced it with that verse. This seemed okay to them. It didn't seem like a big deal. It's just a little thing. The incense will smell the same. Not to God. It'll go from being a pleasing aroma to a stench. Not because its essence or smell has changed, but because... It's gone from a righteous thing to a sinful thing. They didn't do God's way. They did it the way that seemed right to them. They did it in a way that He had not commanded them. They did what was right in their own eyes and got home in time for the game. The definition of casual worship, now the destruction of casual worship. Look at verse 2. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Stop. Think about that. One minute they're swinging the incense, and the next minute... Consuming fire took them out. Why? Because they didn't think holiness was a big deal. They thought they could, they, could just, they could innovate just a little and be okay. They could do most things right, but not everything right. And listen, again, they had no excuse. They had been instructed on what to do. They knew God's word. And yet they authored unauthorized fire. They offered it. They came in a way God had not commanded them. And they experienced death by worship. God immediately judged the sin of innovation in His worship. It was swift justice. And this should... This, get, listen to me. This should happen every time we deviate from His Word, even to the smallest. Now it doesn't because He's gracious and merciful and long-suffering and patient, has sent His Son. He's, he does, but this is what strict justice should look like for everyone who deviates from His Word. But because He's long-suffering and patient and gracious, He doesn't always immediately break out against sin in this way. But He has done it enough to teach us. We are warned. He doesn't have to repeat Himself. He's made the point that there is a way to worship Him that He approves of and there is a, a thousand ways that He doesn't. And that if strict justice were happening... There'd be a lot of fire going forth. A few other examples. You, you might be interested to think this about this, the connection between death and worship. But did the first murder and the first martyr all occurred because of an innovation in worship? In Genesis, when Cain killed Abel, why did he kill Abel? He was jealous because his offering was not accepted by the Lord and Abel's was. In other words, Cain was rebuked because he didn't come before God in the way God had told him to come. He didn't bring a right offering, and his brother Abel did. And so, being jealous, he killed him. And even then, he didn't get strict justice, he was banished. But the first murder and the first martyr were a result of not following God's instruction in worship. Nadab and Abihu smoked because of innovation in worship. Think about the golden calf. Go, I don't have time, but go read in Exodus 32 about the golden calf. There's even some humor in the story. But God didn't see it as funny because Moses had been up on the mountain for a while and the people sort of threatened Aaron to so that now catch this so that to change things so they could worship their way the way that they were used to the way that they wanted to worship so he had they had him make an image in direct violation of the second commandment that they could bow down to and worship and that golden calf what did they call it Yahweh they called it the Lord. They, worship, they attempted to worship the true God in a false way. A way that was directly in opposition to His commandments. So we, when we saw that in the, in the 9.15 class, we saw idolatry as two things. Having false gods. And there's no right way to worship a false god. But it's also worshiping the true God in a false way. So they make this golden calf. Moses is on the mountain. God tells him to go down. He breaks the tablets of the law written by the finger of God. And because they had innovated and God's worship, a plague breaks out and bunches of them die. Again, death by worship. So if just those two are enough between Nadab and Abihu and between the golden calf in Exodus 32, and I'm trusting you to go read that, You can see that false worship brought death. There was a way that seemed right to them, but the end of it was the way of death. Why? Because it was sinful. It deviated from God's Word and what He had told them and what He had commanded them. He had given them clear instruction on worship and how worship was to be done, and they didn't follow it. See, listen, you know how faithful your God is. You know how faithful the Father is. He he doesn't leave you guessing about what His will is. And having revealed Himself and having revealed His will, it is our obligation to keep what He has revealed. We've come to faith in His Son. We have the same power that raised Him from the dead. We have no excuse. We have the Word of God. And it should be that our hearts, and it will be if we've come to know Him really, are tuned to His command and to His Word now. And what we want is to please Him. Even when it contradicts with what we want, what we want is to please Him because sometimes we do desire Against him. We need the gospel. We need the word recalibrating us. Do you see Nadab and Abihu, thousands of Israel, gone because they worshiped in a false way and received justice? They did not receive injustice, it was strict justice. And God was showing that His worship was not to be trifled with. We are to worship according to His word. And you might say, well, that's Old Testament preacher. And I hope you're not one of those people who say it's a different God in the New Testament from the old. And the old one's mean, the new one's nice. That's a bunch of foolishness. Same Jesus in the Old Testament, there isn't new. Same God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me give you a couple of New Testament examples then. You're going to have to go read these. I don't have time. How about Acts 5 and Ananias and Sapphira? They gave a big gift to the church. Think God would be pleased with that. They gave a lot of money to the church. But what did they do? Part of worship is giving, right? Our, Our giving, our offerings. They gave a big gift. They wanted to be thought like others, though, who had sold things and given it all to the church. And that's what they acted like they were doing, but they were withholding part of it back. So their sin was not in the... The giving, necessarily, it was in the lying. and that, In fact, that's what the text says. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. So in the New Testament, don't forget, this is New Testament. This is post-resurrection. This is in the church. Peter, illuminated by the Spirit, asked Ananias, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And listen, they didn't have to give it all, Peter says. It was yours before you sold it. It was yours after you sold it. You could have not, you you just shouldn't have come and said, look, we're just like Barnabas. We've sold something and we're giving it all. Instead, you could have said, you know, we need this part for this. We just This is just an offering we're giving. There wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. But they were posing. They were posing. They were proud. Haughtiness comes becomes before a... All in destruction, way that seems right, death. This is New Testament, same God, they immediately dropped dead. When Ananias lied, he dropped dead. His wife come in, she didn't know what happened. Peter says, is this the way it really happened? Is this what you sold it for and therefore you got Yes, that's what really happened. What happened? There's the feet of the guys that drug your husband out. Boom, she dropped dead. God doesn't always do. Aren't you glad that God doesn't always kill everybody who lies about their giving? Oh, come on now, you can confess your sin by laughter or whatever. Aren't you glad He doesn't immediately strike you dead when you sin in some way or you don't give Him His due? But Ananias and Sapphira, this was New Testament, they paid the price of death. I'll give you one more example, and you might. You may at times ask, well, why do you spend all of this time when we do Lord's Supper trying to uninvite people? Because I don't want this to happen to them. I want to glorify God first, but we should take worship seriously and do worship according to His Word. And if you don't know Jesus, you shouldn't take the Supper. If you do know Jesus, you shouldn't take it wrongly. But 1 Corinthians 11, some have, now listen, Lord's Supper is part of worship. Some decided in the church to innovate when it came to the, to the participation in the Lord's work, how they would do it. <clears throat> and you know, if you read 1 Corinthians 11, some people were drawing off in clicks, saw it as a party, using it for selfish means, not sharing with the bread. They weren't, they weren't seeing the one Lord, one faith, one, one body. One, they weren't doing it the way Jesus said to do it. They were doing it the way they thought was okay. And Paul has to correct that, so you'll have to go read 1 Corinthians 11. But look at verse 30 after he talks about the importance of of doing it rightly and recognizing the body and doing it the way the Lord Jesus had told him. He's already gone through that. But they weren't. And now watch this this is New Testament, this is worship. They were innovating. They were doing it their own way. Paul says this. This is why many of you are weak and ill or sick. And some of you have died. Why? Because they were not keeping God's Word as it related to the Lord's Supper. And judgment had fallen upon them. God will discipline His real children even unto death to keep from condemning them at the judgment if they are in rebellion against Him. And even in Corinth, some people got strict justice. Why? Because the Word says they didn't partake in a worthy manner. They were partaking in an unworthy manner. Now there's more that I could say, but you can see two examples from the Old Testament and two from, for the New, that there is such a thing as death by worship. Approaching God wrongly. Worshipping Him in a way that's not according to His Word. Being casual in our worship. Thinking it doesn't really matter all that much. You know, we do it this way over here, you do it that way over here, and it really doesn't matter, just whatever, you know. That is not true. God is patient and gracious and long-suffering, but there's an acceptable worship and an unacceptable worship. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we've seen examples of death by worship. And I just ask you, I want to reiterate some things. So I'm going to ask you why. Why did they die? Well, because God was mean. No, look back in Leviticus, the offense of casual worship. What was the error? What was the foundation or the source of this, of God breaking out in fire, in a consuming fire? Look look in verse 3 of Leviticus 10. Moses said to Aaron, in other words, he's explaining to him why this happened. And listen, to to Aaron's defense, he probably didn't even know what his kids had done. Imagine this as a father, and your sons are now in the priesthood, and they're going to offer the incense, and and all of a sudden, woof, and they're gone. Verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Notice the Lord hasn't left them without instruction. They knew beforehand. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. I will be sanctified there. New American Standard, the Net Bible, the New King James has it more this way. By those who come near me, watch this, I will be treated as holy. Why? Because he is holy. And when we don't treat him as holy, strict justice would make us toast as well. We're long, he's long-suffering, impatient. You know, we don't, we don't judge whether or not something is right or wrong based on whether something bad happened to us when we did it. We judge whether or not something is right and wrong by the Word of God that He's given us. But that Word there, I will be sanctified, I will be treated as holy. Even the smallest innovation, hear me, first and foremost, even the smallest innovation on what He's told us to do is an attack on His holiness. And we don't do well to attack His holiness. But that word there for sanctified or holy is kadosh. It means to cut off or separate from everything else. So as Paul Tripp and others help us understand, there's a couple of meanings here. First, holy means to be in a class of your own. In other words, there's a God and it's not you. You don't get to decide what's right and wrong. Is that uncomfortable? I hope so. So you're trying to make me uncomfortable? Uh-huh. God's Word should make us uncomfortable sometimes. So here, in the first instance, it means being a class of your own. It refers to God's transcendence, to His magnificent magnificence, to in the sense that God is higher and superior to anything there is in the creaturely realm. There's Creator, In creature. We're in creature. We're not creator. We're not Lord. He is. We're not God. We don't decide what's moral. He does. So the first refers to His transcendence. And second, to, to being entirely morally pure. All the time and in every way possible. Sinful men... Women, boys, and girls cannot come into the presence of a holy God without being judged, condemned, vaporized. Why? Because He's holy and we're not. So put all this together. The Lord of hosts is the sum and definition of what it means to be holy. Remember remember Isaiah's vision and the angels going around the throne and it was their perfect delight to do nothing but to sing holy, holy, holy? that we sang this morning, but just part of it, with no music. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty over and over and over with humility, covering their face, covering their feet, in deference, respect and reverence and awe of God's holiness. God occupies the moral space that no one ever has occupied before. And as such... We have no experience or frame of reference to understand what He is like because there's nothing like Him. The only way we can understand what He is like is if He tells us. So the only way we can know who He is is if He tells us. The only way we can know what He wants is if He tells us. And then we have the responsibility of honoring that revelation. We must go by what He has revealed. To treat God as holy, listen to me, to treat God as holy is to respect His revelation. What do you mean? His word. By obeying it out of love and devotion. Nadab and Abihu chose to cast it aside. They cast aside God's revelation for their own way. What felt good to them. What they wanted to do. What seemed right or okay to them, and they found out how holy God is. And God is the same today and throughout eternity. I'll give you just one. Notice, do you know the author of Hebrews alludes to this story of Nadab and Abihu and connects it to it with language that he uses? In Hebrews 12, 28, and 29. Now watch what it's talking about. And receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, new heavens, new earth, Jesus, you know, a land that is to come, our home, all all of that talk. But in, in, in chapter 12, 28 and 29, it says this, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now here's the connection. For our God is a consuming fire. See how that directly connects back to Leviticus 10 and the consuming fire that came out and consumed them. Why? Because they, they offered unacceptable worship because they didn't treat God as holy. Therefore, they didn't follow His word. Therefore, strict justice fell upon them. And that is enough of an example to instruct us that when it comes to God's worship, we need to do it exactly the way He's put, told us in His word. And instead of looking around at everybody else and saying who's wrong and who's right and all, of, we need to look at ourselves and say, where do we need to adapt to be in line with His word? I'm not saying anything about what worship should look like this morning. I'm just trying to convince you that there is unacceptable worship that should be dealt with by God. We're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about what it actually should look like. And in some senses, it'll be broader than you think, so... And some it'll be narrower. But just be okay with it. You know, if we misinterpret God's word, tell us. But if we're teaching God's word rightly, we need to abide by it. But look at that. It says, offer to God, since we are receiving a kingdom, since we are saved, since we are in Jesus and have hope for the future, not just this life, but the next. By the way, let me just pause. Do you have hope for the future? Do you have hope for beyond the grave? Has God delivered you from the fear of death? Has He shown you that you deserve His condemnation? Every one of us deserves that consuming fire. We've broken His law. That's how we know. His commandments define sin. Have have we always had Him as our only God? Have we always worshipped Him His way? Have we never dishonored His name? We've already glorified Him on His day. We've always honored our mothers and fathers. And kids will say, stop right there. Murder, adultery, stealing, which starts in the heart, coveting, lying. We deserve condemnation. We deserve that consuming fire. But God sent His Son. Jesus perfectly kept the law. He didn't need to do that. But He did it for us and for the glory of the Father. The law, justice being fulfilled, then there's a perfect righteous record there and it's His. He went on that cross and died to pay the penalty for our sins. He took the wrath due us, not just physical death, as horrible as that was. He took that consuming fire for us and drank it dry because He was God-man on that cross. He went through the grave. He was under the power of death for a time. Third day, He rose again, proving it's all true. He is the Savior. Salvation is available to you. It is a free gift to you. Will you repent and trust Him? Will you turn and trust in Jesus? If you're trusting in Jesus, you have hope. And you know what else? If you're trusting in Jesus, now you can come to God through the instruction of His Word, offer worship to God that you know comes from a place of weakness and need, but you can know it's acceptable because it comes through Jesus Christ. But look at back in 1228. One of the couple of things that acceptable worship is, is worship that is reverent of God and in awe of Him. Nadab and Abihu were not reverent of God and in awe of Him. They they didn't seek to worship Him according to His word. See, what we all need is a deeper appreciation of God as holy. That way we will see how serious it is to deviate from His word. That vision I talked about Isaiah earlier when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. What was his response? Wow, I can just approach this God any old way I want to. No, he said this in in verse 5. And again, go read Isaiah 6. I'm giving you a lot of homework today, aren't I? Woe is me for I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He was exposed to God's holiness and it humbled him into the dust. Because he saw he is holy and I am not. I am in big trouble. And so if we get a greater apprehension of I'm not saying you all have to have a vision. Don't go away counting on that. It's probably not going to happen. But you have the revelation to teach you about your God and His holiness so that you can be humbled by that, so that you don't trust in yourself but in Him. You don't define things for yourself but you let Him define them and you out of love and joy because of His grace, follow Him in what He has commanded. There is death by worship. It might still happen today. How many people in God's church have been weak and ill and died because they have dishonored Him in worship? I don't know. But you see that example in Corinth. You see it in blazing glory in Leviticus. We want to avoid a worship that dishonors Him. And a worship that dishonors Him is one that doesn't define itself by His Word. I don't see how you can take these cases and make any other case than that. Biblically speaking. So what do we take away from this? Just a couple of points. I know I've run long enough. But take away these two things. The first one. Repent of being your own moral authority. Repent of doing what's right in your own eyes. Being wise in your own eyes. Judging God's word. Submit to it. Christ's resurrection proves it's true. You're not smarter than God. That might be news to you. There is a God and it's not me, it's not you. We need to be dependent upon him to guide us through his word by the power of his spirit. Proverbs 3:7 is part of one of the first sections of verses I memorized when I came to Christ. Be not wise in your own eyes. See, that's what Nadab and Abihu did. And that's what the Israelites did. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira did. That's what a lot of the Corinthians were doing. That's what a lot of you are doing. That's what I've done. And probably there's a lot of ways I'm doing it now. I want God to show me and deliver me from that. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. How do we know what's evil? If there is no God, there is no evil. So we can just dispense with that, okay? How do we know what's evil? His commandments, His Word, shows us what is right and what is wrong. What is sin and what is righteousness. So the way to turn from evil is to know the Word and to walk by it, not out of legalism to make yourself righteous, but out of love because you love the God who saved you. But see, Americans are really bad about wanting to chart their own course, pull themselves up, be their own deal, decide for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And I'm telling you, creation holds you without excuse and the resurrection of Christ holds you without excuse. This must define your life. And to the extent that it doesn't, It deserves condemnation. Christ has died for us, yes, and been raised for us and reigning for us, and He's cleansed us from our sin and living within us. We are God's children, but even being God's children, we need to be careful that we're living for Him according to His Word. Ananias and Sapphira, Corinthians. What I'm saying is be humble before the Lord, not proud. Go His way, not your way. When it comes to worship, don't look around to see what you want or what you think or what. Look here in His Word. Humble obedience to His Word is the Christian life, right? And that includes in our worship. So, repent of being your own moral authority and, two, Listen, this will fix the rest of it. Embrace God as holy. Read The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Read some other books. I'm sorry we don't have a couple over there for you today. Read about what it means that God is holy. Read in the Bible like Isaiah in places about holiness and what effect it had in people's lives. Because we don't want to be those kind of people that want what we want no matter what God wants or says embrace God as holy, live for Him in His grace, worship Him according to His word. The wages of sin is death. We've seen a lot of that, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. See, we've seen today, we have more than sufficient examples of the danger of innovation in God's worship. In worship and in all of life, we need to treat God as holy because He is We need to seek to line up everything in our life, in our individual worship, in family worship, and especially in our corporate worship with what His Word says, with the revealed Word, with what, you know, we've gotten away from this, but we really should call this not just the Bible, but the Holy Bible. Because it is God's Word. And therefore, in that sense, it is different than every other, quote, holy book. This one's true because this one has a resurrection behind it to prove it. None of the Buddhas have been resurrected. Muhammad was not resurrected. Harry Krishna's, you, you name it. You have not been resurrected to decide what is true. Jesus. And Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I'll close with this. Think about the word of God as a level. Do you, uh, do you ever use a level to decide what is plumb and what is level? Plumb is a wall up and down. If, it's, if the bead is in the middle, it's plumb. Level is this way. If the bead's in the middle, it's level. You can, have you ever looked at a thing and thought, eh, that's pretty good, that's okay. And you stick the level on it and go, man, this thing's not working Right? No, it's working. You're the ones not working right. This is our level. This defines plumb and level. The resurrection proves it. Our responsibility is to love Him and love it because of His grace in our lives. So remember my scary warning up front. There's a way that seems right to a man, to mankind, to people, but the end is death. And we don't want to walk in those ways. Even if God doesn't... Immediately, strictly judge us. That's not loving Him. Be warned by that verse. And remember our main point. Because God is holy, we should take great care, great pains, great self-sacrifice. Because God is holy, we should take great care to approach Him in the way He has instructed us in His Word, the way He has exampled in His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To live as Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is so hard. Some of us have grown up. We were trained in children's church and in youth group and in college group to worship you in ways that are not according to your word. And it's hard transition to make. Some of us didn't grow up in church. We don't know anything about worship and holiness. Some of us maybe grew up in churches that, as far as we could tell, we're doing it right according to the word, and we can be proud and haughty about that and look down on others. None of that. Help us not to do any of that, but just simply to look to you, to thank you for your grace in Christ, to seek to love you with our lives, to seek to live in according to your word. Romans 12, to offer our bodies, ourselves, all that we are, as a living sacrifice to you. And when it touches worship, help us to look and we'll, in the coming weeks, to be excited about the next couple of weeks, now getting the positive side of what should worship look like. How do we do this? How do we worship you according to your word? So humble us with this lesson this week and give us anticipation for the ones to come. We really just, we want to glorify you. You Our perfect righteousness is Christ, as we sung. Christ took our hell. He he lived for us and provided our righteousness and took our condemnation and was raised and is reigning for us. And we want to live for you, Lord Jesus. We want to glorify you. We want to love you. We want to be used by you to bring the true gospel to those around us. So search us and know us. And try us and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting as individuals and as a body of believers. Help us to offer to you that acceptable worship that you refer to with reverence and awe. Help us to know and respect you as holy. To rejoice and rest in you as gracious and merciful and long suffering. But help us not to presume upon your grace. But, but to see that our, our love for you is to be shaped by submission to your word. You know better than we do. Deliver us from being our moral authority. Help us to submit to you and love you and honor you. Help us to learn from these negative examples we've seen today and to take away the lesson that the big lesson in big neon lights is no innovation. No will worship, no, if it comes from our hearts and is not in according with your word, help us to cast it away, Lord. And Lord, if anyone doesn't know you who's listening, if anyone's rebelling against you who's listening, if anybody's not satisfied in you, who's, whatever, work in hearts to bring to faith in Christ, to grow in grace. Give us hearts that love, sacrifice themselves, and live to honor you who have sacrificed so much for us. Thank you for your grace. Help us to live for your glory and be ever-growing examples of the, what we confess that to live is Christ and therefore to die is gain. We praise you and cry out for it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.